We are opening God's Word again in Philippians chapter 4, and we'll just read a short reading, a brief reading for Philippians chapter 4, and we'll read from verse 6 down to verse 9, and then we will look to the Lord in prayer. So Philippians chapter 4, and verse 6, so let's hear the Word of the Lord. <clears throat> Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received, and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Amen. And we will look to the Lord. Let's pray together as God's people. The Lord will make the word a blessing to our hearts. Let's pray. Gracious God and loving Father, again we come before Thee in prayer. You've said in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, to make Your requests known unto God. Lord, You already know our need, and yet, Lord, we obey this command. Lord, we come to Thee, and we pray, O Father, that Thou would send forth the Holy Ghost. We pray, O God, we request that Thou would give this preacher, the ability to communicate to this people that thou hast given in the study. O God, I pray that you will give help in the preaching of the word. Lord, we request that you will give help in the hearing of the word. We pray that thou would unstop our ears, that thou would open the eyes of our understanding, that thou would soften our necks, O God. Lord, as they're hard in rebellion and in pride. O God, and I pray that you'll give an opening into the heart the very center of our being. And in doing that, add the grace to work out, Lord, what you work into us. And so, Father, I pray that you would wash me, that thou would cleanse me in the Redeemer's blood. I confess that I need to be cleansed. And I confess my need of being infilled with the Spirit of the living God. And I thank thee that thou hast promised to give me the Holy Ghost. Thou art not a man that thou should lie And Lord, I take thee at thy word, and I claim the infilling of the Spirit of the living God. May he clothe me and help me. And Lord, may he guide my words. And Lord, that you would take them and use them for thy glory and for thy name's sake. Hear us and do good. For this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I wonder, did you know that the average person has, it is estimated, 10,000 separate thoughts each day? That works out to 3.5 million thoughts in a year. And if you live to the age of 70, you'll have approximately 262 million different thoughts. The mind, with its ability to think, reason, contemplate, reflect, remember, meditate, is a wonderful faculty that is given to us by God in order that we might glorify God. 
Now, we undoubtedly live in a world where there is a battle for the mind. The world system continually bombards the mind with everything at its disposal. Books, magazines, television, films, music, the internet, etc. And the goal of the Antichrist world system is to control man's actions by first controlling man's mind. Another tactic by the devil that is employed by him is to destroy the mind. And that is seen in the evidence that is all around us today. How many minds are not wrecked and tormented and disturbed by abuse of varying kinds? There's tremendous mental pressure in the days in which we live upon people. And many turn to all sorts of coping mechanisms such as alcohol or drugs or self-harm. The devil offers them all the Eastern mystic religions as ways in which they hope to find peace of mind. The Apostle Paul, he also knew that much of the Christian's warfare is fought in the mind and that many of the dangers that a Christian might face in this life it comes through wrong or distorted thinking. The devil seeks to lure the Christian into wrong thinking because he knows that wrong thinking leads to wrong living. Now, to remind you, Paul has been dealing in this section with spiritual stability, and under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he has been advising, he has been giving advice on how that is to be achieved and maintained in the Christian's life. He gave advice concerning harmony and ecstasy. And last week we thought about advice concerning humility and anxiety. And if you recall, Paul exhorted them and us not to be anxious, not to be worried about anything, but instead pray about everything. And we noticed that the Greek word that he used it's a word that means to divide or to draw in different directions. And that's exactly what happens with anxiety and worry, to our emotions and to our thoughts. And here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul, he gives instruction concerning the mind and the thought life of believers. He did assure the Christians that if they took their cares and turned them into prayers, well then the peace of God which passeth all understanding would keep their hearts and minds. But here in verse 8, he reminds them, he emphasizes to them that the saint, the child of God themselves, have a responsibility in this matter. You see, he gives them an implicit command at the end of verse 8. He tells them, think on these things. Yes, if we take our cares and we turn them into prayers, God will give us His peace that will garrison us, that will keep us, a peace that passeth all understanding, but we're not, as it were, to sit back. We are to be active in this matter. We have a responsibility by this obeying this implicit command, think on these things. Now, a quote that sticks in my mind from Bible college, from Spurgeon, is this. Keep a thought on your thoughts. And that's the instruction that we have in verse 8. You see, what we think matters, and it matters more than we think. You've heard the expression that you and I, we are what we eat. Well, the same thing could be said of the Christian's thinking. You are what you think. 
And it's no wonder that the Apostle Paul, when he speaks about the Christian mind, he continually addresses a subject. We think in Romans chapter 12 and the verse 2. He tells there that we're not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed by what? By the renewing of our mind. He uses the same sort of language in Ephesians chapter 4 and the verse 22. We're to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. You see, unlike pagan meditation or Eastern mysticism, which says you're just to empty your mind of all thought, you're just to let your thoughts go wherever they lead you. Well, here we have in this verse is really the exact opposite. We are not to empty our minds, but rather we are to fill our minds. We're not to be passive, but we are to be mentally active. That's a danger we need to be on guard against. Even in our schools, this Eastern mysticism, it's creeping in. Oh, just empty your thoughts. Let your thoughts lead you wherever they will lead you. Well, the sinful man, the corrupt man, the natural man, where will his thoughts lead him? into sinful and wicked things. And so here we are to be mentally active. Here's things that you and I, we are to fill our minds with if we are going to be spiritually stable in this world. Now once again, the apostle here, he uses the word finally to open verse 8. And that's a word that means, just to remind you, for the rest or for what remains. And this indicates that Paul, he's drawing to a conclusion his teaching on spiritual stability here in verses 8 and 9. Now often before you do a task or an activity, an instructor will say or might say something to you of this effect. I'll give you one final piece of advice. And that is advice that they want and ought to stick in your mind. That's the last thing, the most important thing, and this is what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He wants this advice concerning the mind to stick in the mind. And that's why I've entitled the message this morning, A Final Word of Advice. Let this stick in our minds. Two points again this morning. Firstly, we're going to notice, and we have in verse 8, right thinking. We have right thinking. Let's read that verse together, please. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, the human mind is our only place of total personal privacy. It is a territory which no other person can invade or enter. And as a result, we tend very much to be ourselves in our minds. We don't have to put on a facade to anyone. And it's because of this it is said that in the life of the believer, it is in the mind, it is in the mind or in our thoughts life, that is the greatest area of sin. Pride is that which takes place in the mind. Lust in the mind. The same with covetousness or envy or or suspicion or bitterness or doubt or 
distrust or disbelief, they are all committed in the realm of the mind or the thought life of the Christian. Now, it may be that they may not terminate there, but they might find expression and actions or words. But we have to say that all those sins, they take place in the realm of the mind or the thought life of the Christian. And therefore, since this is the case, it is proper for the believer to think aright. You see, the mind is always set upon something. And the Apostle Paul, he desires here to be quite sure that the Philippians would set their minds upon right things. And he's good reason for that. I've already mentioned this. It is right thinking that will lead to right living. Now what we have in verse 8 is not some poetic list of what we are just to contemplate uh, in some abstract fashion. This is not a list of Hellenistic moralities or Stoic philosophies that were very prevalent in that day when Greek culture was at its zenith. No, these are concrete realities and things that the believer is to fill their mind with. These are things that you and I are to dwell upon, we're to meditate, we're to ruminate, as they are in our minds and our hearts. Now, if you look at them individually, and I mention this as we go through, we see that each of these qualities can be applied to the Word of God, both the written Word and the living Word, between which there is a vital and intrinsic connection and relationship. And so it's concrete realities. The Word of God and the Christ of God that we are to fill our minds with. Now we notice that the Apostle Paul, he repeats the word whatsoever each time. Instead of rattling off a list, whatsoever, things are true, honest, just, pure, etc., etc. No, he has this, these words in between, whatsoever things. You see, when you want a reader to take a list as one single concept, well, then you leave out intermittent words. But when you want the reader to actually stop and consider what does each an individual quality and virtue say to me, that's when you take a little bit of time. And that's what the Apostle Paul does here. This is not just one single unified concept or quality or virtue, but they are different things that teach us and instruct us in different ways. And that's what he does here. He wants us to take the time to stop and consider. And that's what we're going to do as we deal with this matter of right thinking and the things that should fill our mind. We notice firstly that Paul, he mentions in verse 8, whatsoever things are true. Are true. Now the Greek word for true, it's a compound word. And words which when taken together mean not hidden. You see, what is true? I asked you to give me a definition of what is true. Well, usually you would say it's the opposite of what is false, but then you have to ask, well, what's false? So there's, we have these uh, nouns, we have these things that we, we need to qualify and quantify by definition. Well, what is true denotes the actuality of something. It conforms to reality. It's something that's valid and reliable. 
Now, we're living in days when the cynical cry of Pilate is still going up. What is truth? And actualities and realities are being denied. They're being altered. And man has become the determiner, so he thinks, of what is truth. Truth has become relative. And when it becomes that, when it becomes relative, what man determines it to be, it ceases to be valid and reliable. For if there is nothing that is real, if there is nothing that is actual, if all is relative, then nothing can be trusted. All is shifting. And those are the days in which we live. We can concur with the words of Isaiah who said that truth is fallen in the street. People no longer ask the question, is it true? They don't ask the question, is it right? They ask this question, does it work? And how does it make me feel? That's what they want to know. They don't particularly care if something is true or not. And you know, when that mindset pervades a society, a nation or an individual, well then you begin to see them or it totter and wobble, crumble, and collapse. And that is evidenced by the many and the varied national, social, and personal ills that we see all around us today. And even though this world is rocking and reeling, sinful man, he desires a lie rather than the truth because it suits their wicked way. Now, why is truth the first mentioned on this list of virtues? Well, one man said it is because it is the headwaters from which the springs of life flow. Truth is central to life. Man needs the fundamental truths concerning God, Himself, life, and eternity, to enlighten Him, to ground Him, to give an anchor for His soul, so that we can have, or an addition, I should say, that we can have a functioning society. Remember, Paul is dealing here with spiritual stability. You see, truth is that which counters and guards man against lies, doubts, and deceit. Nothing can stand, nothing can endure, nothing can operate if it is not grounded in truth. If there is no such thing as truth, well, society will collapse. Nothing is certain, nothing is sure, nothing can be trusted. Anything can mean what you mean it to mean. And this is why truth stands, it is the headwaters from which the springs of life flow, all forms of life. Now where then is truth to be found? How can you and I know what is truth? Well, objective truth is found in the Word of God. It is a touchstone of what is true. Since God is truth. And that is a reality that is established by the very fact that He is God, for God cannot be God if He is not true. And therefore we have to say, because He is God, He is truth. And because He is truth, then the special revelation that He has given to man is also true. 
God's Word is the final test of truth. To remain spiritually stable, we must fill our minds with the truth of God's Word. It must abide in us, and we must build our lives upon it. And the Lord explained that in His own parable in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He said, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. How is it that we're not carried about and move with every wind and doctrine? How do you and I have spiritual stability? We're in the context of those words, carried about with every wind and doctrine. We see it is by the ministry of the Word of God. And that's how we are grounded in life, by filling our minds with the Word of God. But as I've said, the correlation between the written word and the living word is so intimate that's what's said of one can be said of the other. And you don't have to look too closely in this verse to find the Lord Jesus Christ because He Himself declared that He was what? The truth. The truth. We are to set our minds upon Christ. We are to consider Him lest we become wearied and faint in what? In life? No, in our minds. In our minds. Secondly, we'll move a bit quicker through these virtues. Paul mentions whatsoever things are honest. There's a Greek word that comes from a, a word that means to revere or to worship. It speaks of that which is honorable or respectable. It's a word that's used four times in the New Testament. Three other times it's translated as the word grave, and it refers to three specific groups of individuals. It speaks of the character that the deacon should have in the New Testament church. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8. It also speaks of the character of their wives. And then in Titus chapter 2 and verse 2, it speaks of the aged or the older men. There's many things in this world that are not respectable. And the Christian shouldn't think about those things. Doesn't mean that we should bury our heads in the sand and avoid that which is unpleasant or displeasing, but it does mean we're not to focus our attention on dishonorable things and permit them to control our thoughts. We mustn't focus our thoughts on those things that are trivial, that are mundane, that are common and earthly, but rather on that which is worthy of awe and adoration and praise. And this means that Christians are to take life seriously. Seriously. You and I are not to treat life as a perpetual joke. Now that doesn't mean that you and I can't enjoy clean humor. It doesn't. But there are people, and well, they're never serious. Life is one big joke to them. But that should not be the case of the Christian. The overall tenor of our thoughts should be serious and worshipful in nature, and that will happen when we fix our thoughts upon those things that are honest. Now again, when we think of the written word and the living word, they are of such a nature as to invoke in us reverence. And they are worthy of that reverence. Therefore, again, we see we're to fill our minds with the Word 
both the written and the living Word of God. Thirdly, Paul says that if we're going to think aright, that if we're going to be spiritually stable, then we must set our minds on whatsoever things are just. Well, this word, as you know, it speaks of that which is righteous. And that word righteous, well, it's self-defining, that which is right. And again, what is right in respect with how man treats man, or how man and his duty towards God, can only be determined by God, who himself is righteous. We are called to think upon the righteous standard of God. And again, it's in Scripture that God's standard of righteousness is revealed unto us by commands and precepts. But also in Christ, the Word made flesh is the righteousness of God revealed. Now the reason why you and I need to think about just things or righteous things is in order to be spiritually stable in order that you and I might be able to make right judgments in life. We are continually forming opinions about other people. And our minds are be filled with such thoughts as equity and thoughts of moral excellency, which protects us from treating people unjustly or holding opinions that are contrary to what is upright. We're we'll also be called to make judgments in different matters of life that will order or impact our affairs. When our mind is fixed upon that which is right or just, it will preserve us from compromise. That will preserve us from fiddling the books. That will preserve us from error, from sin, which tends to destruction and turmoil, for we will know the right thing to do in the circumstance. Fourthly, right thinking sets its mind upon whatsoever things are pure. Well, that's a simple enough word to understand. It's that which speaks of something that's free from defilement, something that will not contaminate. It speaks of that which is both morally and inwardly pure. It comes from a word that means holy. It's also a word that's a special significance to ceremonial purity. And you know all about that in the Scripture. It involved the washing off the body with water. And it involved the abstaining from sensual sins. And that's the emphasis here. This world. This world is filled with things that are sordid, that are stained, that are smutty. And there is a vicious and sustained upon the purity of the mind. The impure, suggestive thought. The innuendo, it's never far away on any of the platforms of the media. A pandemic of pornography it is destroying the minds of millions around this world. It's estimated that one-third of internet traffic is in relation to pornography. And this is the one of the greatest causes of instability in marriages. Remember Paul's speaking here about spiritual stability. Well, when you don't set your mind upon that which is pure, but upon that which is impure, 
Well, that'll bring instability into your marriage. Young person, this is why young people, they no longer enter into platonic relationships whose end is marriage, and they're jumping from one relationship to another because the impure has distorted their thinking on biblical, pure relationships. And this is what this is all concerning, that you would stand, stand in the Lord. And this is what Paul is advising these people here. We're to set our minds on that which is pure, those things that are clean and wholesome. That's what we're to ask the question to ourselves. Is what I am feeding my mind, is it intrinsically pure, or will it corrupt my thinking? Will it defile my thoughts, and will it impose an immoral concepts of relationships upon me? Again, this virtue describes both the Scripture and the Savior. The Word of God is pure. The Christ of God is pure, holy, and undefiled. And when our minds are fixed upon Christ and filled with the Scripture, we too can maintain moral purity, the moral purity that God requires of us. Fifthly, whatsoever things are lovely, Well, first, this word lovely, it refers to that which is intrinsically or naturally beautiful. Something that draws your attention because of its form or its structure. We should fill our mind with lovely things, with beautiful things. Now, Paul's not speaking here of wonderful scenery or pretty flowers or adorable little puppies. Although those things are not wrong in themselves. But Paul is speaking here of those things that have a beauty and a moral excellency about them. What excellency there is in the Word of God. Its form, its structure, its unity, its composition, the poetical brilliance, the magnificent simplicity, the profound depths of the Scripture. It make it like a book like no other. Our eyes, our minds should be drawn out after the Word. And then what about Christ? What's said of him in the Song of Solomon? He is what? He is altogether lovely. The loveliness of Jesus Christ surpasses all others. He is the fairest among ten thousand. Secondly, this word lovely. If we look at it in more detail, it's a compound word, and it means pertaining to love. That's which pertains to love. It's a relational word and refers to things that would invoke our love or draw our affection after them, creates a response in the individual. Well, does not thinking of Christ evoke the response of love within our soul? Is not the Word of God relational in its nature? For by it we are drawn closer to our God, and the more we love it, the more we love Him. And so we are to set our minds on those things, whatsoever things are lovely. Sixth, and a brief comment, whatsoever things are of good report, that which is commendable, those things that we wouldn't be ashamed of if someone was able to peer into our thought life. 
And then Paul says in summation, and I'll paraphrase it like this, if there be, or we could read that word if, since there are things of virtue, and since there are things that are praiseworthy, we are to think on these things. We're not left devoid of things that we can't think about. There it's all laid out for us. The true, the honest, the just, the pure, the lovely, those things of good report. There's so much for the Christian to focus their minds upon, to fill their minds with. Paul says we are to think on these things. This is a command by the apostle. Right thinking is not optional in the Christian life. The grammatical voice of this word think that we have here, it's a reflective verb. What does that mean? Well, I'm not great at English. You can gather that already. What does it mean? It means this is something you have to do for yourself. I can't think for you in this way, and you can't think for me in this way. The responsibility, it lies upon you. There is discipline to be exercised here. The word think, it's also a different word that is commonly used in the New Testament for think. It's translated in other places as reckon. This is not a passing thought. This is something. This is how we are to, as it were, continually think and meditate, and evaluate, and consider, and to uh, dwell upon. You see, I want you to understand that this is not some psychological ploy that Paul is presenting. This is not mind over matter. This is not the so-called power of positive thinking, or any of those things that are used as coping mechanisms when anxiety comes. Oh, I must start thinking about that which is true and honest and pure and just, for that's going to help me calm my fears. This is not a coping mechanism. This is a changing mechanism. This changes how we live and how we respond to things when they come across our path that would cause others to become anxious who have not known what it is to have their mind renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not a coping mechanism. It's not something we run to. This is a changing mechanism, brethren and sisters. This is how we are to continually think. And who and what we are to continually think upon. And that will free us from anxiety and worry. Because those things that will cause that will inevitably come across our path. This is a whole new way of thinking. And this type of right thinking will keep us spiritually stable. Brethren and sisters, again, we're not left in this matter. We're not left to ourselves in this command. We sang it this morning. We can read it from Psalm 19. Well, the, the psalmist, he makes this appeal to the Lord. Let, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Lord, let them, enable them to be. Let these meditations please thee. There is enabling grace to fulfill this command. Now the Bible leaves no doubt, no doubt whatsoever, that people's lives are the products of their thoughts. Proverbs 23 in the verse 7, we read these words, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. 
And just as a computer's output is dependent on the information that is imputed uh, into it, so people's actions are the result of their thinking. Right thinking always leads to right living. And this is always Paul's emphasis. That's why he so often in all his epistles, he begins them, he organizes his letters with doctrine first, those things that will address the mind. And then he moves on to practical application. And that brings us finally and briefly this morning to our second point. We thought about right thinking, and here we have right living. Verse 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now the key word in this verse is a small word. It's the word do. Do. Now I've spoken before in a series about the apostle setting himself forth as an example. Back in the previous chapter, chapter 3, in the verse 17, he says, Brother, be followers together of me. And in other places in the epistle, he does the same thing. Now, I'm not going to go over that again, but I will say that this is not an egotistical boast. If it was, it wouldn't be permitted to be allowed in Holy Scripture. Paul spoke the truth. He was an honorable man. He was a just man, a pure man, a lovely man, a man of good report. And the Philippians, they had learned from him, they had received from him, they had heard him, and they had seen in him. He was, if you take all those words, he was an educator, he was an expounder, he was an extoller, and he was an exhibitor of his Christian faith and of these virtues that are mentioned. And that's something you pray for your minister. That they would be what? An educator that you would learn. That, they would be, that you would be an expounder, uh, that he would be an expounder, that you would receive truth taught, that you would have application given to your heart, that you would uh, hear him as he would extol the message of the Word, and you'd also see it exhibited in his life. Pray it for yourself. Pray it for the preachers, that there'd be educators and expounders and expositors and extollers and exhibitors. But as I said, the key word in this verse is the word do. Word do. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said, the life of man and earth can be divided into two categories. The matter of our thinking and the matter of our doing. And in this exhortation to do, the apostle, he is reminding them that with all their thinking and all their intellectual activity, it still must be subject and made captive to the gospel of Christ. And there we find ourselves again back in chapter 1, verse 27, living out in a manner in your life that which becometh the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul had done himself. You see, the danger is that you and I can become content with theoretical knowledge, satisfied with the doctrine, heard the advice, and counted it as good, but failed to put it into practice. And that's what Paul did not want happening. That's why he urges them to do do it. Implement. Implement the advice concerning your harmony and your ecstasy and your humility and your anxiety. Don't let it terminate in your thoughts or in your mind, but work these things out in your life. Practice them. 
Make them a discipline in your life and my life. That's what he wanted. He was the Lord Jesus, and he said this in John 13, in the verse 17. If ye know these things, there's the mind. But he didn't end there. He said, happy. Happy are ye if you do them. You see, you and I, we're not going to be happy. Happy in the Lord. If you merely know these things, but if we do not do them. And that's really what Paul says at the end of verse 9. There is a reward. There is a consequence for doing, or a consequent. He tells us there, and the God of peace shall be with you. In verse 7, we had mention of the peace of God. And here we have the promised presence of the God of peace if we do those things that are pleasing in God's sight. Now, what could be better for the child of God? Is that not what we long for, the nearness of God? Well, Paul had proved this over and over again in his life. There he was in a prison in Rome. But that didn't matter to him. That didn't strangle his joy. It didn't extinguish his hope. We get no hint of that from him in this letter. It appears to be that it was the Philippians who needed a top-up of joy and encouragement in their hope, but not Paul. And the reason why it didn't strangle his joy or extinguish his hope is because the Lord was with him, the God of peace. He had great peace. And he goes on even to speak about that in the following verses. When he speaks about contentment. And we'll come to that the next time. Oh, life can put us in some deep, dark places, can't it? But even there, the God of peace is with us. Enabling us to remain steadfast, keeping our feet from slipping, keeping us from falling, and preserving us unto his heavenly kingdom. As I close, it's interesting, if you compare the list that we have here in Philippians 4, verse 8, to David's descriptive list of the Word of God in Psalm, 100, or Psalm 19, verse, verses 7 to 9, you'll see a parallel. You do that later this evening or this afternoon. And then what does it tell us in Psalm 119, verse 165? Great peace have they which love thy law. Let's endeavor to fill our minds with the Scripture and the Savior and then live out what we know. That's Paul's final word of advice concerning spiritual stability. Right thinking will always lead to right living. Maybe you're here this morning. And you know you're not living right. You know that you're not saved. Well, you can't do right until you begin to think right. And you need to think right. And that is basically repentance. To have a change of thought. Where your thoughts come into agreement with God's concerning who you are. A filthy, hell-deserving sinner. And that there is one Savior. 
Jesus Christ, whom if you will call upon and trust and rest and He will give you a new heart, then you'll begin to think aright. You'll have new thoughts as all things pass away and all things become new. Be no longer an enemy in your mind by your wicked works, but consider Him who is true and honest just and pure and lovely and of good report. And He will clothe you with His righteousness and you'll be in your right mind. And being in your right mind and having right thinking, it will lead to right living that will glorify God, which is man's chief end. Let's take this final word of advice and let's not be hearers of the word only, but let us be doers and may His grace enable us to fulfill this command. Let's bow in prayer. Our eternal God and gracious and loving Father, there is a tremendous battle for the mind, the minds of our young people, our children. Lord, we have instruction here. All these whatsoever things, all these attributes and qualities and virtues which, Lord, are what we see in the Word, both the written and the living. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to fill our minds with the Word of God. Lord, bless your people. Lord, help us. As I said, there is a vicious attack, but we thank you for the helmet of salvation. We thank the Lord that you have promised, yes, to guard and to keep our minds. And also here, instructed in what we are to do. Help us to do that. Lord, remember those who are here this morning. They're not thinking aright. Oh, they've got it all wrong in their thoughts. No thought of God. No time for the Word. No thought of eternity or their own soul. Living for pleasure and in sin. Oh, God, we pray that you would help them to think aright to have another thought, that your thoughts would come into agreement with thee. Lord, we thank thee for your word. Oh, we do rejoice in it. There's so much to mind from the word of God. We thank the Lord we can take our time. We're pilgrims. We're on a journey to heaven. We're not in a sprint. We're in a race. As Paul spoke about the course that is set before us. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to walk worthy of our calling in Christ Jesus. Bless Lord, as we depart from the meeting house, we ask, O God, that the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Ghost will be the portion of thy people, that thou would bring us again underneath the sound of the preaching of the word, that thou would draw in the unseen, that thou would speak, O God, that thou would save with the glory and the honor of thy great name. So hear us, Lord, do us good. For these things we ask all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.